The following podcast is sponsored by StructureTech. And one of the issues with gas log fireplaces is CO leaking into the house. And that prompted us to start talking about testing CO on furnaces, which is kind of a sticky situation for the home inspection industry. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Structure Talk, a Structure Tech presentation. My name is Bill Ulrich, alongside Tessa Murray and Ruben Saltzman. As always, your three-legged stool coming to you from the Northland, talking about all things houses, home inspections, and anything else catches our attention in a given week. So on last week's episode, we were talking about gas log fireplaces. And one of the issues with gas log fireplaces is CO leaking into the house. And that prompted us to start talking about testing CO on furnaces, which is kind of a sticky situation for the home inspection industry, because it seems like you can get it right nine out of 10 times. And the one time that it doesn't go right, you are firmly in front of a bus. So, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) you're getting run over. Yeah, Yeah. I should say not getting it right is sort of a very subjective thing because Ruben, as you know, there's how many different ways to test a furnace and and how many different opinions on what's the right way to test. I've, I've learned the right way to do it about 10 different times and they're all different. (laughs) That's helpful. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's so frustrating. There's so many experts in the field who insist this is the way to do it. I've been doing it for this long and this is how you definitely do it. And they conflict with each other. And I don't know of any authoritative document that just says this is the one true way to do it. It's like when you go to the the building code, there is one building code for, say, Minnesota, and there might be different interpretations of the stuff, but the language, you, you have language to go back to, but we don't have the same thing when we're testing CO on furnaces. It's mostly like, what is the most common way of doing it? What do most people nod their head in agreement at? And that's what we're doing when we test. Well, should we start there, Ruben? What is the one thing we can all agree on at this moment in time when it comes to testing furnaces? Well, one thing we can agree on is that testing for CO, carbon monoxide at a furnace, is not required by any home inspection standard of practice. Home inspectors absolutely do not need to do this. It's more one of those things where what does everybody else in your neighborhood do? Is this common practice? And we've discussed this. You know, I was the president of the local ASHI chapter here in Minnesota for probably about five years. And there were a few different meetings where we would do an informal poll and I'd say, all right, while we're on CO and practices, raise your hand if you test for CO. And man, everybody in the room raises their hand. It's like, this is just standard practice in Minnesota. I'm sure there's some inspectors in Minnesota who don't do it, but they're the exception. Everybody tests for CO. So this is standard here, even though it's not required. We know that for certain. Okay. There's one other hard and fast rule. And so I'm going to throw this softball up to you. Where do we always know that this is a bad furnace? When it's a Lennox <laughs> whisper Lennox heat. Whisper heat. <laughs> yes. Okay. Apparently my softball was not as big as I thought it was. Gonna be. Okay. It's right. 400 parts per million in the exhaust gas. Yes. And so yes. if you do test, 
And if you use diagnostic equipment for testing or a gas analyzer, I should be more specific so people don't get upset. If you use a gas analyzer and you get to 400 parts per million, when the furnace is running at high fire, that's a problem. Everybody agrees to that. Yes, that is a published standard that is in writing. It's in the Minnesota Fuel Gas Code. They don't spell it out quite that way. I think maybe the new version of the code does, but the way it was always written in the code was that it can't be more than 0.0, like four one hundredths of a percent, which equals 400 parts per million. They didn't actually say 400 parts per million in the code. It was 0.04%. It can't exceed that. And if it does, it's bad news. And that is, I mean, that's a standard for all furnaces, for boilers. That is a magic number. If it's above that, when we're doing a home inspection, we, you know, if it's in the summertime, we'll go to the the furnace shutoff switch and we'll shut it off and we'll put a call into the listing agent or leave a note for the homeowner. We'll do whatever we can to say, hey, this equipment isn't safe to operate, but if it's the dead of winter and there's nobody home, you know, if we shut that equipment down, what's going to happen two days from now? Well, the house is going to freeze. It's going to be a winter wonderland and we'll have destroyed the house. So <laughs> we, we won't shut the equipment down at that number, but that is a magic threshold that can't be argued with. And we don't have any authority to shut off a furnace I, by what would, we do. No, I mean, no, we don't. But a heating contractor can red tag a system. Yeah, they can red tag it. And I mean, technically we could red tag it too. I mean, there is no authority behind a red tag. A red tag is just a tag that's colored red. There is no national database of red tagged furnaces. Nobody's going to come in and get you in trouble for flipping it back on. But boy, if you turn a furnace back on that has been red tagged and somebody dies, I would think somebody would be in some legal trouble for that. It, It just, it'd be foolish, but You know, when it comes to authority, I don't know that there's any authority behind a red tag. Now, one other thing I wanted to bring up in this conversation sometimes is equipment too, because contractors, inspectors, they all have equipment that they like to use. We use a brand called Testo and there's other types of equipment out there. And, and so are you familiar with calibration on this type of equipment? How often should it be calibrated? The standard that manufacturers want you to do is once a year. Now, we don't calibrate our stuff religiously once a year. We cross-check our equipment against equipment that has been calibrated at least monthly. We are always cross-checking our equipment with other known good equipment. And we send them in for calibration probably about once every two years but we're always double checking it to make sure they're accurate. The only reason I bring that up is because in the past, if we run into an issue where we've tested a furnace and somebody from the office will go out and retest because the conversation usually goes like this. These people don't know what they're talking about. They should have never told you that, blah, blah, blah. And then an angry homeowner, they call our office and and we respond. So at that point, Somebody like me would go out to the house and I would bring all 16 of our testos and test (laughs) the furnace with each and every one to prove that 
you know, number one, our equipment isn't bad or, or whatever. And so that was always one of the first things a, a contractor would say is, well, when was the last time they had their equipment tested? Do they even know what they're doing with their equipment? And so it's a sore spot. I, I don't mean to bring it up, but it was a sore spot. No, you're absolutely right. And, and this is one of the reasons why a lot of home inspectors don't like doing this, especially if you're a one-man shop and you don't have a big inventory of tools that you can cross-check against and double-check your results if you're not sure. That, that'd be a good reason for a one-man shop home inspector to really be leery of doing this type of testing at all because it happens so often that people throw you under the bus and you know th- there's this assumption that because they're an HVAC contractor their equipment is somehow better than ours and theirs is accurate and ours is not but i've personally been involved in probably a half dozen transactions where i found high levels of carbon monoxide at a furnace i called it out then later on, the contractor says, no, it's fine. And then we figure out, wait, whose was last calibrated? And ours was, and they're wrong about it. And they end up sending somebody else on. They say, oh yeah, our equipment was off. <laughs> so it's not like this is a one-way street, but there's a perception that because they're a contractor, they are right. Yeah. And I think to your point, when you talk about piles of equipment, they often have a lot of it. And I know there's a very large HVAC contractor in town that they will not red tag something unless it's verified with multiple testing units to prove that, no, this isn't off. You know, this isn't because our equipment's off. This is because it is out of line here and it needs to be fixed. Yeah. And, you know, Bill, while you're talking about equipment and we're talking about that magic number 400, I think it's important to note that a lot of equipment out there, a lot of CO testing devices don't actually take the right reading because there's there's two numbers. There's the raw amount of CO in the flue gas, and then there's the air-free number. If you ever do a CO test on, say, like a power vent water heater, and you're, you're testing for just raw CO, the number is always going to be really low because you've got this draft fan at the top of the water heater that pulls in a ton of household air and a large percentage of the air coming out of that exhaust terminal is going to be household air and it's going to be very diluted. And so your CO level is going to be very low. But if you have a fancier combustion analyzer, it actually does a calculation and it figures out how much free air do you have in here? And then it subtracts all of that air to give you the actual number of the CO that's coming out of the flue undiluted. So it's giving you a much more accurate number. It's it's the air-free number. And that's the number that's referenced in the code is the air-free number. So if you're just taking a plain old CO tester and it can't do that calculation, you don't know. All you can do is guess. Wow. That's very, very technical. Yeah. So that that's why we use the ones we use. That's why we don't use straight up CO detectors. We use combustion analyzers, devices that will check all these different things. And for any home inspectors out there doing it, you know, my advice would be don't use a straight CO tester. Use a combustion analyzer that checks this. So Tessa, what does it look like in training when new people come on? How are you teaching them to work with these furnaces? I think the first thing that we talk about is all the different types of furnaces out there and types of boilers too, because depending on the type of furnace, you know, if you've got a natural draft furnace or you've got an induced draft furnace, or you've got, you know, a sealed combustion or high efficiency, 
you test them in different locations depending mm-hmm. on the different type. So that's kind of the first thing we talk about, just the different types of furnaces and and uh, kind of how they work and how you test them. And I think we have we talked in another episode about all the things we do to actually test a furnace. I know we're talking just about CO today, but we talked about doing temperature rise and yep. and and um, you know taking off the panel covers, looking inside for rust or signs of moisture or anything like that, checking the furnace filter. We do all those things. So we talk about that in training too, but then we talk about the proper location to do a CO test and when you should do a CO test. It's very important that you do it at the correct time. Rewind if there is a quote unquote correct time, but you want to make sure you don't do a CO test like two minutes after you turn on a furnace. That's too soon and you won't have an accurate reading. And Ruben, you can probably quote code on what that says. I can't, but I just know that you need to let that furnace get to what we call steady state before you do that combustion gas test on That's, it. Tessa, you're exactly right. It needs to get to steady state. And I've heard some people say, well, you should only do a CO test after it's been running for 10 minutes or 15 minutes or blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And you're making stuff up. It's it's not about how long the furnace has been running. It's about it getting to steady state. And mm-hmm. it means that the flue temp is not rising. You know, the flue or the vent, whatever, the exhaust mm-hmm. gases are going to keep getting warmer and warmer. And eventually that temperature is going to plateau. It's going to stop rising. Once it stops rising, that's where you do your test. It's that's it's that steady state. Can I ask a question? We just had uh, an HVAC contractor come in and do a, a training session with us at one of our company meetings recently. Yep. And do you remember what he was talking about with doing that test at steady state on furnaces that have different modulations or stages, I should say? Well, if if it's a two-stage furnace, and we see a lot of those, it's best to do the test when the furnace is on the second stage. And for most of those, it's got to run for 15 minutes. And if the thermostat is still calling for heat after 15 minutes of continuous operation, it's going to go into high fire mode. It's going to go into the the second stage Mm -hmm. and that's where we want to test it. So when we're dealing with a two-stage furnace, yeah, we definitely want to run it for at least 15 minutes before doing our test. Now, if it's a multi-stage, and I don't know if I've ever seen a multi-stage ever, I, I guess this is a furnace where it just keeps stepping up. Maybe, you know, it might start at 40% capacity and then 41, 42, 43. For that, I have no idea, Tess. Gosh. I, well, I, I think I've only seen as much as a three-stage furnace. But, I mean, that's helpful to know. It's to get a two-stage furnace to, to hit the high stage, that's going to be at least 15 minutes. Do you like crank the thermostat up at least 10 degrees when it's like a a summer day outside, it's 90 out and you let that furnace run for 15, 20 minutes? Yeah. I don't know how else you do it. And and that's why we've got, we've got home inspectors on our team. We talked about it, kind of our our procedure for how we go through a house. And there's some inspectors on our team who really want to do that test at the beginning of the inspection because they feel like, well, the house is going to get really warm. And then I, I know that the furnace will have gotten as hot as it's going to get. And then I can turn on the AC. And by the time the occupants get home, it should be nice and cool again. And it makes perfect sense. I understand mm-hmm. why they like to do it that way. Yeah, it does make sense. I always used to do it the other way. <laughs> and I think that was fine too. But as long as you're letting that furnace get to steady state, whatever that may be, that's when you want to do that CO test. Yep. 
I was getting worried. I used the word high fire or the words high fire. And I was like, good. Is somebody going to call me out? But you fixed it already. You fixed it with this, this two-stage furnace. So thank Appreciate it. <laughs> yes. Another thing too, I think that can get confusing for inspectors is where you do the test. And again, it depends on the type of furnace. I think one type that usually throws inspectors, I see this and Ruben, I think you can speak to this too, looking for pictures for your latest blog of where you test a natural draft furnace. Yes. And and you're talking about a furnace that doesn't have a draft inducer fan. They're, they're yeah. kind of few and far between these days. Yeah. There's not a lot of them left out there, but those all have a draft hood mm-hmm. and they are going to have somewhere usually between about two and six ports. And you need to test every one of those ports. It's going to be a matter of taking your metal probe and sticking it up inside there and testing cell number one, and then wait till you get a good reading, move it over, test cell number two, and you got to test every one of those different cells because you're sticking your probe in before it mixes with the air at the draft hood. You can't just stick it in the flue. And for anyone that doesn't know what this type of furnace looks like, it's like, it looks like a standard furnace, but on the upper cabinet, there's like this grate and this opening that you can look up into. And when you look up, you can see these, all these um, chambers, like you're looking into the heat exchanger cells, basically across the top in a horizontal line. So you're sticking that probe up through that draft hood opening into each chamber and doing a measurement. Exactly. That's an old furnace, right? Yes. But they're still out there. Yeah. Like, would you say they probably stopped making those in the, in like the late eighties, maybe? I don't know. Maybe mid nineties. I'm not sure, Tess. Yeah. Yeah. But they're old. I mean, if you come across one of those there, it's probably safe to say they're at the end of their expected serviceable life, but yes, we still test for CO. Still test. Yeah. All right. So Tess, what about if it's got a draft inducer, where do you test there? For draft induced furnaces, you want to test that flue gas in the flue about six inches above the hood. And ideally, I think no more than eight, 18 inches. But you said hood, but you meant to say draft fan, of course. Draft fan. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. We can rely on you for your technicalities. Thanks for, thanks for fixing that. And then you do, you want to make sure that you're not like drilling into a a bend. Like if that flu takes a a turn or something, you don't want to take a a measurement right in a bend and you want to stick your probe kind of into that flue and have it go kind of right in the center of the flue, I believe. That's right. I've heard other HVAC contractors, uh, Ruben, what do you think about this? Taking measurements kind of across the diameter on the inside of the flue and taking the highest measurement. But I've always just stuck it right in the middle of the flue, perpendicular, making sure that it's exactly perpendicular with the flow of the exhaust gas. Well, it it depends. How's that for a good answer, Tess? Yeah, that's That's your favorite. Sounds like a perfect answer. answer. (laughs) What it depends on, if it's a furnace, if we're talking about a furnace, Uh you just stick it in the middle of the flue. But if it's a boiler... And pretty most boilers are going to be natural draft. Mm-hmm. You're going to want to stick it all over that flue. You want to put it on the far left side, take mm-hmm. a reading there, move over to the center, move over to the right side. You got to move your, your probe around. And we did some training at, at somebody's mm-hmm. facility once, and they, they had a perfect demonstration of that, where you put it on the left side of the flue and the CO was very low. You move it over to the right side and it just skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. So on a furnace in the center, but if it's for a boiler, you want to move it around inside there. Why is that? Just because it's a bigger flue? 
bigger diameter? It's because there is no fan that's going to swirl all those gases around oh, and, and mix, mix them it. up. They're okay. just rising up through gravity. Ah, that makes sense. And I mean, boilers are going to have different burners and you could have one burner that's really bad. And one side of that flue might have really high levels of CO. Interesting. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention too, is we don't drill through double wall B vents either. We only drill through single wall. Yes. Yeah. And most of the time we don't even drill through those because there's almost always a test board there where somebody has already done it and they've covered it up with metal tape and we bring metal tape along with us. And after we make a hole, we put the same metal tape right back over the opening. And I will say, it's not just any metal tape. There's always the generic stuff at the store. And then there's the UL listed stuff. And there is a difference. You buy that cheap metal tape. And after the furnace has been running for a month, it's going to fall off the vent. It doesn't stay in place. But you get the UL listed stuff and it'll resist that high temperature of the flu and it won't fall off. And that's why we're very picky about which tape all of our inspectors have with them. Yeah. I didn't know that about the generic. Good thing I've never bought it. I've always stuck with the UL, but <laughs> yeah. you, you follow directions well. I do. Yeah. And then that takes us to the, you know, the uh, seal combustion high efficiency furnaces. And typically, you know, you can identify those because you've got, you know, PVC pipes coming off one for an intake, one for an exhaust typically. Although sometimes you might just have an exhaust pipe coming off with no intake. And on those, what we do at Structure Tech typically is we will test the exhaust gas from the exterior where that exhaust pipe terminates on the outside of the house. Now, if it goes up through the roof, I mean, that's another story. You know, if it's not accessible, you don't do that, but we'll try and test it from the outside. Now, we recently changed our policies and procedures and just within the last year, and we do allow now our inspectors to drill through the PVC pipe if they seal that hole up with a high temperature caulking. So I don't know how many inspectors are on our team are doing that now. I think I'm going to say nobody. I, I can't imagine <laughs> I who know. would want to carry around high temperature caulk with them. I mean, yeah. you need to make sure you got. Just walk around to the outside, Bill said. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I don't think we ever drill holes, but one trick for you, if you are going to drill that hole, my advice would be drill the hole down in the flue at a 45 degree angle so that if anything ever does come loose, condensate is going to drip back into the flue and not leak out. There's your little tip of the day. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm go. trying to envision this now. Ruben's holding <laughs> his drill at a 45 degree angle, drilling down yeah, we. I don't do that. We don't do that. We don't drill holes in those flues. We test at the exterior. Yeah, That's, we try to for sure. There's very yeah. few that are on the roof. And if they're on the roof, they're certainly accessible. I mean, what contractor is going to go put the only termination for this furnace unless it absolutely has to be up there, like on a 12-12 pitch or something, right? It just doesn't make any sense. I've had yep. a couple of those, I think, in the past, but not very often. I'd say more often than not, it's like a double wall B vent on a induced draft furnace, and there's no place to drill through it. And so we can't test it. Yeah. Yeah. That's always a little frustrating when you come across yeah. that. Yeah. You know, we didn't explain why we don't. I wonder if anyone has questions about why we don't drill through a double wall B vent. Yeah. The manufacturer says don't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like those simple instructions. Again, it's, it's very easy for me to follow that instruction. Yeah, it's oh. perfectly fine to do it on a single wall vent, but not on a B vent. That's that's the dividing line there. I suppose just, you know, the potential of getting combustion gases trapped in between the two layers of metal and having corrosion and other things happen, right? I would imagine you're right, Tess. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, because you you don't have any way of sealing off that interior vent. Mm-hmm. You're still going to have a right. hole there. Yeah. Yep. That's interesting. Saltzman's laboratories have never tested for, for the reasoning <laughs> behind this, this uh, statement. That, that's what I just don't care enough about, Bill. I know it's hard <laughs> to believe there's some nitpicky detail I don't care about, but that's one of them. I would, I would think that that would be an experiment that would take years to actually see, you know, potential damage that could cause. Yeah. Yeah. I should have done that at my last house. I really should have and just yeah. taken it apart after five years and see what it looks like, but I didn't. And you know what? There's one other thing we didn't touch on. We talked about the 400 threshold, but then what about if it's 300? Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Really? No. You talk to pretty much any heating contractor and they're going to tell you it's not burning properly when it's that high and you've got a problem. And we actually got our hands on the CO testing standards for the gas company here in the Twin Cities or one of them, Centerpoint Energy. And we've got their little cheat sheet that they give to their techs and their threshold is 100 parts per million. When they hit 100 parts per million, when it's above that, they yellow tag the furnace and say it should be serviced. So we pretty much follow suit. If it's above 100 parts per million, we recommend having the furnace serviced. We're not saying, hey, you know, you're going to die. This is life and death. Get it fixed immediately. But something's not working right. It's not burning properly when it's that high. And there's usually something a heating contractor can do to lower that. So that's that's our number. And if anybody wants that chart, uh, this podcast is going to be released at about the same time as a blog post that I'm doing on that topic. And I'll share that chart on my blog post that that blog should be released on August 24th, I believe the day after this podcast goes live. So you can, you can check out the, the blog and you can download that chart that we use if you're interested. That's great. Very good. And then you can yeah. test without that equipment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, I was going to ask you, Ruben, you've taught classes about this before. We've taught classes to real estate agents about this, but I think it's an interesting thing to bring up. What happens when you've got someone who says, well, you know, I've had this furnace tested and certified already. And so your high CO reading must be wrong because my furnace is certified. I've had, I run into that before at an inspection where mm-hmm. a seller has fought me on that, where I've had a number that was above 100 parts per million recommended it serv- being serviced. And then they came back and said, I just had it certified, you're wrong. What do you say about that? I would question their equipment, just like we talked earlier about whose was last calibrated, whose is mm-hmm. accurate. I would definitely question their equipment. We've had issues where our CO monitors don't register enough CO, but I don't think we've ever had it go in the opposite direction where they register too much CO. Mm-hmm. So I, I always question the low reading. And do all furnace certifications test the same things? No, there is no standard for what a certification is in Minnesota. That's I mean, it's I all over say. the board. Yeah. yeah. What's a certification? Yeah. Yeah. It's whatever the contractor wants to call a certification. Right. You, you should get an HVAC stamp that says HVAC certified <laughs> by inspector number 417, just like you get on your stake. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, is there any of these furnace types we haven't covered? We've gone through boilers. Oh, there's one. There's one, Ruben. We should talk about this really quickly before we put a wrap on the show. But there's something we don't test, and we've been told not to test because you'll always get the wrong answer. Do you remember what that is? Pop quiz uh, from six years ago. It's not. Oh, 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 I got it, Bill. I got it. Tesla, do you know what it is? I think what so, is it? yeah. I think it's a high efficiency, like an on-demand boiler. Yes. Yes. 
We That's where I was test, going. Yeah. We don't test exhaust gases on those. So like I'm picturing just those like rectangular, you know, boxes that are mounted on the wall that have a PVC pipe that vents to the outside, like through the rim joists, those things, we do not test the exhaust gas in them. Is that what you were going to say too, Bill? Yeah. You guys yep. nailed it. You were paying okay. attention those years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness. I didn't think I was going to get that bill, but it just came to me. All right. So there it is, everybody. Everything you need to know about testing carbon monoxide gas inside the vent of a furnace, no matter what type of furnace it is. Wait, you know wait, what? let's let's correct. Not everything you need to know. Just everything we could think of. Everything There's that's probably right. a lot more. Yeah, yeah. We are not authorities and we will not claim to be. We just happen to inspect a lot of houses. And so before we put a wrap on this, Ruben, can you just take a second and explain why 400 parts per million is a problem when this is inside of a vent after all? Sure. And, and I'll just, I know where you're going with this and I don't know what's so magic about the number 400, but the whole issue with having high CO, number one, if you have any problem with that furnace where the CO leaks out, it leaks out of the furnace, it leaks out of the vent, or you have a failed heat exchanger and it leaks into the airstream, the higher the CO level, the greater you risk to have somebody die in their sleep the greater risk you have of carbon monoxide poisoning. When the CO is really low, even if it were to backdraft into the house, people probably aren't going to die. So that's one part of it. The other part is that when the CO is too high, your furnace isn't burning properly. You have a much higher likelihood of soot accumulating on the burners and clogging everything up and making it not operate properly. And number three, it's not going to be operating as efficiently. And it's going to be costing more to heat your house because you're going to have less fuel being used to heat your house and more unburnt gases just going up the flue. Carbon monoxide is the result of that. Right at the finish line, but it's perfect because you you put a nice little bow on that. So <laughs> perfect. Well, that's it. I think we should put a wrap on today's episode. It would be remiss of us today to not dedicate this episode and more to our good friend Rick Norling, who was the original owner, Ruben, of Structure Tech. Yeah, he was Many one years. of the co-founders of Structure Tech. Many years ago, and then Ruben's pops bought it from him, and then Ruben bought it from his pops, but we lost Rick yesterday, which is tough. It's a tough day. So you've been listening to Structure Tech, a Structure Tech presentation. My name is Bill Ulrich, alongside Tessa Murray and Ruben Saltzman. As always, your three-legged stool in the Northland. Godspeed, Rick. We'll catch you next time. For more information on how we can provide you with the right information about your home before you buy or sell, contact us at StructureTech.com.